Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday. I didn't know Friday was going to come this week or not. It's October 20th. We are here live. It's time for a free-for-all. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so jump in and join us. Looks like calls are starting to come in. 855-950-3835. I'll uh, be flying solo here in the first hour, and I believe I'll be joined by somebody in the second hour, but I'm not sure who yet. Joel, Henry, Alec, whoever else wants to jump in. We'll uh, continue somewhat of a free-for-all, but focus a little more on technology and efficiency in that second hour. Jump in now if you've got a question, a comment, a topic you want to talk about. Uh, I've got some things. Uh, It looks like Convoy is done. Uh, We weren't quite sure. Their announcement was a little strange, but they've, they've shut down most of the company. Uh, The employees are done. The loads were turned back in. A couple things to be aware of. If you were working with Convoy, I hope they don't owe you too much money. The other opportunity from this, though, is to call the shippers you may have had freight booked with through Convoy because you might just be able to pick up some shipper direct freight right now. So there is a lot of bad news in the trucking industry. The brokers seem to be uh, headline news this week, but I'm also seeing lots of trucking companies dropping as well. So we've got to pay attention to that. It's a really, really tough market. I just posted an article about a 96-year-old trucking company um, that it's closing its doors. A pretty decent size, couple hundred trucks, not huge by any stretch, but uh, 96 years, meaning they made it through the biggest disruption in trucking history, which was deregulation in the 80s. And they survived that. Not many companies did. That was the by far the biggest shakeup and disruption in trucking. And they made it through that but they didn't make it through this. Um, With all that being said, another technology company in trucking just got another round of financing at like $40 million. That just seems odd, but uh, that's the strange kind of economy we're in right now. Most of the numbers I'm looking at, most of the analysts I'm following right now are predicting that we will probably be at the bottom of this market at least through the third quarter of next year. So you're looking at almost a year more of these conditions, and it's possible they could still get worse. Fuel could still go higher. Now, fuel going higher can be good news for some. It can be disastrous for others. If you don't work hard on your fuel cost, fuel going up is not a good thing. If you've been working for years and you've maximized your fuel mileage, it's actually a benefit. It's a help. So mixed signals, again, depending on how well you've been prepared for this. You know, we've been talking about this kind of event since uh, late, 17, early 18, we knew it was coming. We knew the longer it took to get here, the worse it was going to be. And it wasn't difficult 
to figure out how to get ready for this. I said it least a thousand times, probably more. Pay down debt, save cash. Now, there's nothing brilliant about that. It's just basic common business sense that companies go out of business for one reason. Really, I don't, there might be a couple other reasons, but I would have to believe 99% of companies go out of business for one big reason. They run out of money. You're still making money. Why would you go out of business? Now, some people just decide to close businesses over time, but if you're successful enough and you just want to get out, you usually sell. That's not what we're going to be seeing now. We are going to be seeing a lot of business failures, and every one of them will be because they didn't control costs. And when you don't control cost, you don't have the resources to pay down debt and save cash. It's like there, there's businesses operating on, on you know two different philosophies, and we see it a lot in the owner-operator world. One philosophy was, why worry about expenses? Just go get better rates and move as much freight as you can as fast as you can. That, that's one school of thought. I've never been very excited about that model for a lot of reasons. One, it's too much work. Why do I want to have to, to hustle like that all the time, drive fast, push the hours? Why not control every expense you can control? If I, you know, I get criticized for a lot of stuff over the years. It's just what happens when you do what I do. One of the biggest by far, though, is that, oh, all he ever does is focus on expenses. Why doesn't he talk about more about revenue? Well, I've talked about it for a lot of reasons. Helping people increase revenue is far more difficult than helping them control expenses. So my business philosophy has always been control what you have control of first. And then when you can, of course you go work on revenue. But working on revenue doesn't mean screaming that I need more money on every load and then bitching about the brokers not paying enough and then running as fast as you can to get to the next load. Not a good model for increasing revenue. Even if it works, There's the downside of the increased expense by running like that, the increased stress by running like that, the increased maintenance downtime by running like that. When you focus on expenses, you have that control in good times and bad. We've also talked about revenue. Increasing a dollar of revenue will probably only increase your bottom line by about 30 cents. Cutting a dollar of expenses means you've got a dollar more on the bottom line. Why would I spend a lot of time working on something that gives me a 30% return when I can work on things that give me a 100% return? And when I can increase my margins, my profit, that is cash in my pocket that I can use to pay down debt and save cash. So when these times come, you can survive. We are going to lose a lot of fairly well-run trucking companies. It is really, it is going to be the absolute best that survived this time. I'm really thinking... FreightWaves put out some charts about how much capacity we have to lose right now. 
and how long it's going to take us. That's why they're predicting late 2024 before we start to pull out of this, because it's going to take us that long to wash out the weak capacity. That makes it very difficult on the people in the middle. Usually, usually we lose the bottom 25% of the industry or so in a, in a downturn. It's possible we could lose significantly more than that this time. That means you start eating into owner operators and companies that, that were doing some things right, maybe even been around a long time. Maybe they've made it through some other downturns. Some of that group is not going to make it through this one. You're, if, if you own a truck right now or trucks, your sole focus should be how do I survive the bottom? And if you've got questions about that, today is a great day. You, uh, in the first hour and the second, in the second hour, you have access to lots of trucking experience from people who believe the same way, that the way you stay in business is by being efficient. All right, I've got some calls. Uh, There's some other things I wanted to talk about here uh, real quick. The convoy thing is big in the news. We will probably see some other brokers failing. Um, Convoy looks like they're attempting to sell their technology. And they do have some of the best freight matching and freight moving technology in the market. The problem is the, the overall belief that technology can replace relationships. I don't believe that it can. I think your focus on technology should be using it to enhance relationships, not replace them. But I think they'll probably be able to sell their technology. Some pretty big names talking about buying it. UPS, Walmart, Coyote. Uh, I've seen some pretty big names that may be interested in their technology. Um, But other than that, it looks like the company's just going away. Uh, That's pretty shocking. Um, I think I'll hold a couple of these other articles for the next hour. Uh, I will be hitting the road today, and I'll be uh, out on the road for about a month or so, heading to Nashville for the NASTIC conference. I'm looking forward to it. My time there keeps getting busier and busier. I told David Owen, you know, look, if I'm going to be there for three days, keep me busy. If you've got things you want me to do, just uh, just let me know. So I believe I'm speaking or doing something at the event all three days now. I've seen several things, but uh, Lisa keeps my schedule intact and then just tells me where to be when. Works better that way. So I know I'm really busy doing a lot of stuff. I'm not exactly sure what. Well, uh, let's get to some calls. They're starting to pile up on me. I've got some other things, but uh, we may talk about that in a little bit. Let's go to California. TJ, good morning. Yeah, is this TJ? It is. I don't know. You tell (laughs) me. Is this TJ? (laughs) (laughs) Like the beep hit right as you mentioned the name. I like. I should. Like, get, I wonder if that's me. You would think after a year and a half or so with this, I'd be better at that. The problem is <laughs> right I can't on. hear well, the beep, and there's always a delay. It's a little hard to talk sometimes when everything's running through the internet because there's a little bit of a delay, so you don't realize it on my end. So that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So I was calling in to talk about this carrier in California that just went under or that closed the doors. They yeah. didn't actually go bankrupt or anything. They wound, they wound it down 
correctly. Oh, good. Um, but I, I don't know. A couple, yeah. Well, uh, as like good a as month it and a half be. ago, this is what I was mentioning. Right. Yeah. So I, you remember on a, on a Twitter space, I mentioned it like a month and a half ago, you know, and then oh. not buy any reefer trailers because they're all they're all going to be hitting the market. Ah, that's what you um, were talking what about. I really, huh? Got it. Yeah. It's, the, it's this, this company now okay. that this, uh, the, the reason they're out of business, the, the, the reason that I'm hearing on the ground is um, because they lost their Costco business. Now, they were, they were servicing Costco to basically go out, pick up all the produce that Costco sells from those suppliers, and then bring it back to Costco. Ah, okay. Well, the, well Costco's business model, you know, they don't have to do it that way. Sometimes Costco makes their vendors pay for the shipping into Costco, right? So any truckers that have delivered to Costco, a lot of times it's not Costco paying to get that freight there. They put that over onto their vendors. So, right, and, and so these shippers, there's, there's probably a huge opportunity for owner operators to haul freight into Costco from these vendors with these vendors paying the bill. Basically with that business model switch, with, it, with them flipping their business model saying, hey, instead of us paying one big carrier, which is this carrier that went out of business, to go collect all these orders, let's just have the, the suppliers pay for that freight. Ah. So all that freight is probably hitting brokers and carriers, and, and it's going to trickle down to the owner-operators. The owner-operators are more efficient than even this company could be. Right. So their right. inefficiencies as a as you know, a 300 trailer, they, they actually had like 300 trailers in 150 company trucks. So they, they, they about when AB5, California AB5 started hitting, they're one of the people that switched to having contractors with their own authority pull their trailer. Okay. And that's how you get to 300, 300 pieces of equipment versus yeah. 150. But the way I see it, it's, it's just an opportunity to, for that freight to sort of make its way to the fragmented market of trucking, the, you know, all the, all the smaller carriers. So <clears throat> anyways, it's just so, something to look out for if you're, if you're in the reefer business. You know, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that, you know, in one sentence, we're talking about how awful it is that companies are shutting down, people are losing their jobs. On the other hand, this is the time when most opportunities present themselves. I, I'm looking at this market right now thinking I would not want to own a big company, but being a good owner operator, especially, I mean, just one truck, just you, that's all you've got to worry about. There are some incredible opportunities out there. If you've got 10 trucks or less and you manage it really well, you're, you're probably looking at a, a pretty good market going forward if you can control expenses. I would have to say that is the whole game right now. Yeah, well, these, these one truck owner operators are really small carriers. They just don't have the overhead. You know, like in my case, I have, I have too much overhead. I've got, so, so when my revenues drop this, as much as they have, you know, 25, 30%, my overhead is very problematic. Yes. So <clears throat> I have to sort of work my way out of that. Whereas if you're a nimble owner operator, well, you're going to be able to be, be able to maneuver quite easily as long as you know your numbers. You know, I just issued the order in my company to slow all the trucks down from 70 down I, to 65 or less. It, right. I was and, about to say today. We need and I get that at 65, mm -hmm. company drivers, very, very different. I was about to make the claim today that if you're an owner-operator and you're driving faster than 55 right now, you're probably screwing up. 
Yeah, no, that's completely true, especially on the West Coast with these West Coast fuel prices. You know, I can't imagine a reason to go fast um, because you're just wasting wasting it. Uh, but so with the out, we also made the switch to move a lot of drivers from per mile to hourly over the last five years. And that is good because then I can easily issue the order to slow the truck down exactly. and they don't really have, they can't really argue, argue with it, you know? No, in fact, you would think if a driver were paid by the hour, they would want to drive slower. It's easier. It's more relaxing. What, what's the hurry at that point? Exactly. Yeah, so we're we're playing with everything over here, but I could tell you if your overhead is too high, then it's very problematic. And then I, uh, regarding the convoy, the the biggest thing that they did wrong is they focused on the technology versus focusing on let's say sales or even focusing on grinding carriers down to a lower rate like TQL. TQL and Coyote, they're actually better at freight brokerage than, than anyone because A, they're teaching them to close deals with the, sh- with the shippers and the customers. And then B, on the backside, they're using their carrier representatives to basically drive the price down for what they get their contractors to do this work or their carriers to do this work. So while truckers don't like that, the business model is more sustainable than this tech thing going on. And the other thought I had on it is like, for example, I, I, during COVID, all of us switched to maybe picking up your food with the phone app, right? right? Well, after this COVID has passed, how many of us have gone back to our old barista? You know, I, I don't want to do it on the phone app. Right. I want my relationship with the barista, that transactional whatever is, is what I'm actually looking for when I, when I go buy coffee. I don't always want it be, to be the lowest price with, with the, with the, you know, that phone app or the technology and people are, that's a, that's a human thing. So any of these digital brokers, they're, they're basically going against human nature. Yes. They're feeding into the fact that humans want things quicker, you know, faster, cheaper, easier. That's true. But at the same time, that's the pendulum can swing the other way and people want to go back to having just a relationship. And in trucking, you know, that relationship is with a person, whether that's a freight broker or a carrier. Absolutely. Or, or a direct customer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that maybe we've reached some kind of a peak with all technology, you know, not just trucking, but just all of this automation and, and this huge push towards technology doing everything. I'm hoping we're starting to see that that's just not a good idea. I've been saying from the very beginning about the digital brokers, the problem I see is, and you just outlined it, they want the te- technology to be the end-all, be-all. And, and they don't see the need for relationships or human interaction anywhere in here. My point has always been technology can be great if it can enhance the relationship, not replace it. You know, if I can use, a, you know, a cool text app or a communication within an app to, to, you know, just send a quick message to my broker agent about where I might be or what's going on or... That's fantastic. I don't have to pick up the phone and talk to him every time. But if that technology starts to get to the point where I never talk to them anymore, that's, then it's a problem. And I think that's what we're seeing. I never understood, and, and I don't know, I, I kind of figured these people must be smarter than I am if they've got all this money, but I never understood how I had this conversation with Dan Lewis. The, the CEO of Convoy, I had the conversation with him in his office. How do you think 
you guys are going to, because one of the reasons they brought me in and they were honest about it. We don't know trucking. We don't know owner operators. We don't know this world. We know technology. So they, they were smart enough to reach out to people to try to learn that. But I asked them, I said, how do you think you're going to compete against companies like C.H. Robinson that have a hundred plus years of experience in this industry? And, and if you think your technology is going to give you the advantage, how hard is it going to be for them to have the same technology? Technology, honestly, is cheap and easy, and especially once somebody else does it. Once you wait for somebody else to create the technology, it's easy to copy. So I thought at some point when everybody has the technology, do you really think you're going to gain enough experience in this industry to compete? And it's looking like the answer is no. Yeah, that's why these, I mean, like you said, it's a hundred year a hundred years worth of experience across someone like C.H. Robinson and, you know, maybe TQL and Coyote, they're all great at what they do, which is to drive the price down, but at the same time, keep their margins up. Right. You know, they don't move things around at break even. (laughs) And I can assure you Convoy was, Convoy was moving things around at break even. Or worse. Or worse. Or losing money on loads, right. Yeah, so... Um, I, I mean, I, yes, I, I feel for the employees and the thing, but, but we need this so that we can get back to some sort of normalcy, right? So normal, normal in the, in the freight business and in the business world, we don't really know what that is, right? So, so we needed to come back a little bit away from that technology side, get back to some real work, somehow increase productivity because that's productivity is what can can sort of beat inflation is productivity. And so if we can use some of this technology to increase productivity, like you're saying, as a, as a, you know, as in addition to the margins and the sales, well, those companies are going to be fine. And like you said, they can go grab this technology for probably pennies on the dollar as far as, as far as that is concerned. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Yeah, so I can, I've mentioned over the years how much money we had to invest to create our two software platforms. It, it's still shocking to me when I think about it. It was a lot of money, and, and we developed two fairly simple platforms, fuel mileage tracking and a pretty darn simple accounting program. And I'll just say it was well north of a million dollars to develop that. I, I couldn't sell it for that. I, I can hope to recoup my money by, you know, having a monthly subscription to it. And and we've done that. We do okay. But those were two tiny little software platforms. And that's the kind of money it takes to develop that stuff from scratch because neither one of those really existed in the market when we built ours. Yeah. Yeah. That that software, I don't even know what it is. I don't think I've ever used it, but I'm sure it's similar to whatever Uber Freight is doing. And and so there's value there, but it's not going to be what they invested to get it. Not even close. With my software situation, like I am married to my TMS because it runs on some fundamentally sound programs like Microsoft SQL. Right. So Microsoft SQL has been around for a long time. Now, for me to transition to a web version app of this, it's not as easy as it looks on paper. Oh, and so oh, boy, boy, I, I, that's an understatement. 
Exactly. So all of these software platforms are designed in a lab and on paper. And so to just roll it out to the industry, that's fabulous. But it takes time to work out all those kinks. It takes a lot of energy and resources and, and, and like. So, so I'm standing pat with my TMS and not, I'm only into that for probably 250,000. Um, but, and, and I just don't want to make the leap until some of that web stuff is ironed out by other players. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. it's a crazy time. You know, um, six months ago, TJ, when you and I first started communicating again, and I'm uh, just impressed with your operation, everything about it's unique. It's so well run. You have fun with it. I'm thinking now, though, uh, you might have some sleepless nights coming. Yeah, well, the, the cool thing that's happening right now. So since I'm an LTL carrier and my business that I've lost, a lot of that was to the truckload market. It was to these third-party brokers. It was it was customers that didn't want to pay my premium and instead found other methods to get their work handled. So let's just say I lost some of my customers and they went to someone that was using Convoy. That right. could have happened. Right. If that's the case, my customers will circle back to me, especially if volumes decrease. Yes. Because we're LTL and it makes sense to pay me a little premium on my orders to 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 move them, and we got the pair quality cut you know control that it takes to run this, and so I'm excited that, to hopefully see some of that business float back towards me. Um, I did put up a tweet um, last night. One of one of my customers actively switched to using Uber Freight, and they're just. They're having a song and dance about how wonderful it was, you know, over right. the last whatever. Right. But what happened? What happened was it works up front and it works for a while. But what happens when the truck breaks down? Who do you call? Right. Who can actually do something to fix the problem? Right. That's the, and that's what these freight tech yeah. companies cannot do. They can't fix problems well. Let, so let's talk as we about get into something. an environment where there's more problems really simple about why the whole Uber of freight thing never really happened. Uber revolutionized moving people around. The taxi cab industry was a disaster. It was over-regulated everywhere. There was no customer service to speak of. They saw a huge opportunity and they were able to revolutionize that whole industry. And then immediately I started hearing every week I would get a call from some new startup company. We're going to be the Uber of trucking. And my response after a while was, no, you're not. Oh, we are. You don't know. No, I do know. I've been through this 30 times in the last six months. Show me what you're doing different from everybody else. And maybe you've got something here. But they were all doing the same thing. All they were doing was building load boards that they believed the shippers would start using. And I looked at them and thought, what do you think you've done different that you're going to revolutionize anything? These shippers are not going to do this. And they never did. That was the problem. They would sign up a bunch of carriers with all kinds of promises. They would never get enough freight on these platforms to even make a dent. And then when Uber Freight came out, I said, look, even Uber can't be the Uber of freight. They have failed at this. And here's one of the simple reasons why. And you just talked about it. 
in the middle of a shipment, when something goes wrong, your cargo can't help you. But in the taxi cab world, when something goes wrong, it's a human being. They're going to solve their own problem. They have to. So trying to compare moving freight to moving people, and we've, we've compared to the airline industry the same way. But again, that was moving people. And it was like some people couldn't understand the difference and why this wasn't going to work in freight until somebody comes up with some new idea that nobody's thought of yet. Right. Yeah, I got the funniest story about that. So Uber, we're in an Uber. I'm with a customer in Dallas. The Uber driver hits a pothole, basically a, a um, a concrete piece was sticking up. And he sliced both of his tires out. Oof. I'm literally, we're going back to my terminal in an Uber with a customer. And and what did we do? No problem. We just jump out of the car on the freeway. And we, we could have just dialed another Uber. Right. But we fixed that problem as human beings, right? That's what well, I mean. In our case, yeah. I'm like, hey, the terminal's right there. Let's just walk over there. So we just walked, right? So we went on a hike with my customer through the, like, off the freeway, through the ditch, <laughs> over to the, <laughs> the terminal. And of course, anyway, you did. It, was a, it was a great time. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but that's the difference. Is right. that the people inside the Uber have to have, will step up and fix their problem, but the freight can't do that. Exactly, and, and that's been the challenge. And here's the other thing. Uh, again, it comes down to the human. the The freight itself opens up an app. The human puts in where it wants to go, and we're done somebody still has to input all of this information about loads into some system somewhere. And the shippers don't want to do that work. They want to dump it all off on a broker and say, here, you deal with this. Yeah. So the shippers, they, they don't want to do the work, but the main reason they don't want to do the work, the smart ones, is because they want to focus on their core. Right. right. So right right now, right, right now, one of my shippers, a really big account has some of their own trucks. And, and you've heard me tell the story, maybe that they're opting to not have their own trucks and they're replacing their own trucks with PCT trucks, my truck. So why would they do that? It's going to cost them millions of dollars in freight. But the reason they'll do that is because that's not their core business. They're not good at that business. They don't maintain the trucks. Well, they don't want to deal with Penske and Ryder and Therefore, they would rather outsource it. It's the same with any shippers going to choose from a carrier network of 2,000 or 100. They don't want to do RFPs and they don't want to send out bids and they don't want to manage the safety on a carrier. That's why they use brokers. Yep. Right? There's a complete need for freight brokers in this industry because the truckers don't want to manage the shippers because that's not their core business. Let's say managing a client sales, the truck driver don't want to do that. The truck drivers want to work on their own business. They want to manage their fuel miles. They want to drive the truck. They want to do these other things. And that's why that broker intermediary is, is necessary. And it works. So this works. So you were just able to explain why, why this won't work because of shippers. Then you were able to explain why it won't work because of owner operators and carriers. And you did it in about three and a half minutes. Why don't people understand this? I guess because they haven't lived it, I guess. I mean, some of all of us truckers have Yeah, but the truckers, if they're honest with themselves, if the truckers are honest with themselves, they'll say, 
I don't really want to go in there and talk to the office guy. Of course. You know, right. That's just not what they like to do. Right. Right. That's a salesman's job. I can't even get my customer service people to do sales. Right. I can't. Exactly. I have to hire specific sales. You know, I have to hire a specific salesman to do the sale. No one wants to do sales. It's tough picking up the phone and calling. Right. And so. So that's what the brokers do. They're salesmen before they ever, before they ever ground down a carrier on this rate, they were closing a deal with some client. You know, that's just the way it is. I think of them as salesmen. You know, I just just had a weird thought about business in general. I don't know where this phrase came from, but I heard this phrase a long time ago. I have no idea who said it or, but the phrase was nothing happens in business until a sale is made. Which, which is kind of true. I mean, it, it, you can get ready all you want and build a business or a product or whatever, but nothing's going to happen until you can sell this to somebody. Now you have a customer. Now you've got a business and you got to go out and sell it again. So it, it seems to me like selling things is the most important skill in any business. You've got to be able to sell stuff. You got to be able to sell yourself. Just if you're an owner operator with one truck, you got to be able to sell yourself. Well, if this is so critically important, why wasn't there some sort of college degree in sales? We have marketing. That, that's right. a big, big area of de- marketing is very different from sales. It, it's like, where do you go to learn how to be really good at sales? Yeah, they don't teach it in school. That's no. for sure. I teach it to my kids. Yeah, um, but you know, but they're homeschooled. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, but the, here's the thing, though. There. There is something to be said for, so, so yeah, I started out as a truck driver, but I really was, I, I, I closed the deal, but then I had to back it up. Right. So your sale will go get flushed right in the toilet if you can't back up what you sold. So then the work begins as well. So yes, it takes a salesman to close the deal, but then all the nuts and bolts have to happen. Right. Right. That's when the, that's when you, that's when the overtime, that's when, you know, you're working 16, 20 hours. And that's when the, you know, that the never quit attitude has to come in and you have to be able to work through all the commitments that you made as a salesman. So, I I mean, I used to promise the world to these customers. I didn't even know (laughs) it was possible. But then what, but then after I make that commitment in my DNA, after I say it out loud, then I make it happen. So that's just the way I work. And I don't like to let people down ever. So if I don't like to let people down, and I've overcommitted, well, guess you just have to be work the most harder. productive guy out there. <laughs> you just have to exactly. work harder, right. And I was about to say, if you've ever been around companies that are sales intensive, the biggest conflict in the company is always between sales and operations. Operations is always screaming at sales. You can't promise them that because we can't deliver. But the salespeople want to make a sale, so it, it, sometimes they'll just promise anything. And, and it's a huge conflict that you have to manage. Yeah, I, I love it. That's why I love the LTL freight sales world and the LTL world. You know, that's where I came from is doing LTL. And I was, I, I was as in the office and then I became sales guy. And, and so at the same time, I knew I was doing, you know, there's a small terminal. So I got, had to wear a lot of hats. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're making me do sales, but at the same time I'm doing line haul coordination. Right. And so, so, I mean, I, I love the LTL world. If any, tr- if the truck, like if a guy comes to me and says, Hey, how should I get into trucking? 
I don't even tell them to go get their license. I tell them to go work on the dock at Con. Well, I used to okay. say Conway, but Conway's <laughs> right. Right. So, so yeah, yeah. So, but go to work at Old Dominion. Yes. Like, you want to get into trucking? Just go to work at Old Dominion. It's the yeah. they're the best of breed common carrier out there, and everything they teach at that company is bound to be correct yep. because they're I so agree. good at what they do. I agree, and you are right, yeah. and that's I, I got my start that way. At, not knowing that was a good way to get a start. It was just the opportunity that presented itself at the time. And it was for a small LTL carrier, uh, Spartan, which actually got bought by Roadway. But it was small enough that, you know, I was working out of a satellite terminal that we had, I don't know, like 12 trucks in the terminal, all owner operators. We did all the LTL work out of that terminal, but it was small enough. We ended up working the dock. In fact, at some yeah. point, they actually started contracting out their entire dock. They didn't want to run the dock, even the company didn't. And it was it was attempted by several of the owner-operators that were there. You know, they had a truck, they were moving freight, and they tried taking over the dock contract. And they went through a couple of them. Nobody could really figure out how to make money doing it. But we... It was so small, You, you'd, some days you'd come in and work the dock before you would leave with your trailer because that's just the way things worked. But you that was, in my opinion, the best education you could have to get into trucking. Learn the dock, learn the LTL stuff. That is a relationship business, absolutely, because you are in and out of the same places every day over and over and over. It, it is a really... Uh, it is a relationship model if you're going to be successful in LTL. Yeah, I do. You want to know something, a, a little fact about me? I didn't even know what an invoice was until I started working for that trucking company. <laughs> I'll bet. I didn't, even, yeah. I, I didn't even know what an invoice was. You're right. Right? But, yeah, so those – Conway – Back in the day, Conway, they used to, all their drivers worked the dock, right. which is great because then the drivers load their own trailer. Yep. Like if you've ever been an LTL driver and you pick up and you're, you go pick up your trailer that's been loaded by someone else, you got to sort through. You got to, you can't really see what you all have up there. You don't know if everything's there. You have to trust that your dock loaded it out correctly and put it in the right order for you. And you kind of work through that as you go about your day, you have to move stuff around the trailer to, to get it done. Um, and so like me being a hands-on, I don't need, like yesterday I drove a route, lift gate route, and I did some great hauling. Um, but I told the doc, I said, just put my freight on the dock. I don't want you to put it in the trailer because I want to, I want to test the trailer's reefer. I want to test the trailer's lift gate. I want to do my pre-trip first before I go load the trailer. And that's just how I do it. I just like right. that. And I, so right. it's just easier for me. I love loading my own truck. Then I know it's all there. But well, that was anyway, that was we're really getting off on a tangent here. Yeah, you're right. But it, they're they're good lessons. And, you know, I just grew up around that world. I mean, at almost everybody in my family worked LTL most of the time for companies like Conway. And you're right. It, it, when you start at those companies, you start on the dock. After that, you probably go to LTL. And after that, you, you know, everybody wants one of those nice dedicated line haul runs. You know, your schedule, it's not very hard. You get in the truck, you drive one way, you come back, you go home. So that was just the typical progression in those companies. And, and I lived in that world. And I, I just think that was part of a great education in trucking. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today without that experience that I had back then. Because what all, all I did was take the lessons I learned at that carrier 
that California overnight carrier with four terminals in California. And I said, well, okay, I'm going to do the same thing, but with reefer trailers and with one terminal in California, which is centrally located, awesome. which turned out to be a great for my success because I'm exactly halfway between San Francisco and LA. So, so with, with two trucks, I can have overnight service. They just meet in the middle every night and swap freight. Great. Hey, you know, so, earlier I, I said, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're in for some sleepless nights, but I'm also completely confident you're going to make it through this and it's going to be interesting watching how you do it. Yeah. Um, I do need to keep banking on sales. I do have a lot of extra trucks in, in the wings, so I don't have to take on any more debt. Right. And I've been actively paying down debt since 2020. So, so a lot of the last trucks that I financed were, was January, 2020 oh, on nice. scale. Like it was probably yeah. 15 trucks. Right. So those are what January, 2024, that's four years. So I, I I'm focused on keeping my debt service low, right? I have low interest rate loans in place and I'm not going to take on any more. So that's one strategy. But the, the other thing is to do sales and, and, and then lastly, just efficiency. So my efficiencies, what well, they don't necessarily come just from slowing down the truck. They actually come from making sure that the truck routes are full and that yes. they cost out. Right. So we're, we're making sure that when we send out a truck, whether that's a box truck, a local truck or an OTR truck, we cost that out appropriately. And now if we can move that cost, uh, you know, if we can move the revenue on each truck even higher, that'll be very helpful because of one thing is bad debt. We've been writing off about $10,000 a month in bad debt. So like that's problematic when you're, you know, you go do all the work and then $10,000 a month is, you know, it's only like 1% or a little less than 1% of bad debt, but it could get worse. So that's, we've got our eye on that. And um, you know, like I said, efficiencies wherever possible. So we'll see how it goes. But I, here's what I'm most worried about is January. So my business ramps up because we're in the wine and spirits business. It actually ramps up through the new year. And right. that, like, this is our, we call it OND, October, November, December. So OND is, is always good. It's always our best quarter. And so I'm not too, con- I mean, I'm concerned because I'm looking at the numbers for the OND and it's, 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 it's meek. Right. Right. Um, so if I'm bad right now, what's going to happen in January? That's, that's where, so I kind of have my sights set on making sure everything's perfectly efficient by the time January hits. You know, so, th- there they- was, there was a lesson in that right there. And, and here's what it is. Most trucking companies, owner operators, brokers, but businesses right now are scrambling to just survive this week. I mean, you, you see it. I see it all over the place. They are, they are worried. And when you are that short-sighted because you have to be, you weren't prepared for this. Now you're scrambling every day. You don't have time or the brain power to think of solutions. You're just surviving. You've put yourself in a position where you're already looking forward to January. That's a big difference. Yeah. I mean, the further you can stay out ahead of these things, the better. Now, every plan, whenever you plan too far in advance, it'll change. But Uh, Right. Other than that, yeah, plan ahead. I have a request. Um, Yeah. Can we make a like a monthly segment out of this? You and I getting on and talking about how yeah. you're what you're seeing in the industry and business, how you're responding. I think it would be awesome. Today was a great business lesson. Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, no, of course. I'm available all the time. Let's and I'm always hiring drivers, too, so. Hey, well, hey, put out <laughs> a number. Yeah, no, we're moving a put, lot of but, freight. Now, I, I absolutely want to direct drivers towards companies like yours that are going to survive this. Put out a number. Yeah. Out of, if, no, it's a, it, if somebody's I, interested, what do they do? Oh, yeah. Put, I mean, well, they just they can, call, they can call or text me on my cell phone. It's the best. Shoot, text me, and then I, I direct you from there. But uh, my cell phone number is 805-540-1857. 1857. Uh, and then of course, find, uh, find me on Twitter, which is at darting uphill or look up, uh, DJ at sbftransport.com. And then of course our website is www.sbftransport.com. Perfect. So, yeah, I'm available, yeah. but we, we love the Twitter action. I've, we've got, we've got drivers, carriers, a bunch of people, um, actually, you know, moving our freight through our network um, that I met on Let's Truck, you know, met through yeah. through this radio show and, and then met through the Twitter spaces that we do Good, and, and all of that. So we, w- we want to yeah, do no, more of that. It's great. Perfect. Yep. All right. I'm not spending any money at Indeed. Every, everything I spend is over here at Let's Truck. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we all promise right, not to double your rate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> all right. Thanks. We'll all talk right, to Kevin, you again we'll soon. We'll talk to you later. Take care. All right, let's go to California. Aaron, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Boy, am I on topic this morning. I'm over here in TJ's neighborhood, and the company I work for has about 50 drivers, and their overhead's too high, so their response is to make a shift in their business model, which puts my equipment and me and my customer out in the wind, Uh-oh. which opens up a huge opportunity for me. Oh, good. good. Um, I've been ser- I've been servicing this customer for about 20 years now. I have an amazing relationship with them, and they're very receptive to me stepping in as an owner-operator. And I just found out this news last Friday evening, so it's taken me until now to get all these numbers together. But I want to run by you what position I'm in and what the job opportunity looks like. And you tell me if I'm crazy. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Uh, What do you want first? What position am I in or what the job opportunity looks like? Let's take the job opportunity first. Okay. Um, It's kind of specialty freight. I pull uh, doubles, 28-foot live floors. Um, that equipment is for sale. It is in my budget. Uh, I don't like the tractor I drive. It's terrible. So I'd be looking at a truck. So I, he gave me a month worth of the revenue this truck generates and he has it all by the hour. I converted it to the, by the mile. So I have revenue all miles. Okay. And 21 work days. I grabbed the wrong page. So let me grab the other page. Sorry, it's two pages. That's all right. Uh, so in 21 work days, that's a month, uh, total miles was uh, 6,800. And if you multiply that by 12, that's 80,000 miles a year, which sounds right to me. About okay. what I do a year. Total revenue, gross revenue was $24,089. And if you multiply that out by a year, it's two hundred and eighty-nine thousand dollars. Okay. 
gross revenue. And if you do the math, that comes out to, for this month, was $3.53 all miles. Okay. So you had said um, they they had done it by the hour. What uh, Do you have that number? What is the hourly rate? Oh, uh, well, they calculate their expense ratio by the hour. Okay. Um, uh, I, I, I have a hard time of, understanding how they calculate their expense rate. Yeah. It, it, well, these numbers look really good on the surface as a per mile rate. Um, and in an environment mm-hmm. like we're going into, um, I don't even know if the per hour rate would be all that important anyway. Um, I just, is it one of those really time intensive? Are you going to be sitting a lot of times waiting on stuff or you got to tie up drivers and equipment or, I mean, it doesn't seem like you could tie up a whole lot here. And even if you were, it looks like you're being compensated for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, as a company driver, you know, I, I work about 55, 60 hours a week, five days a week, home okay. every night, two days off, almost, I almost get every weekend off. So the, so, so that's very attractive to me. The customer has to be satisfied. Uh, like you, that's moving byproducts and you have to move their byproducts. Otherwise their mill stops milling and then their loss per hour is astronomical. So that's why they like me because I have a long standing history of making sure that it, never happens. It looks like just by rough um, numbers, the numbers were kind of easy to calculate in my head if I was doing this right, but it looks like you're working <laughs> about 240 hours a month for 24,000 a month. That, that puts it at about $100 an hour, I think. Is that right? I think that's right. That that sounds about right. My boss is trying to make a hundred and forty an hour off the truck, okay. and I'm not hitting his target. But yeah, it, it, but hundred dollars an hour, especially going into this environment, is certainly respectable. There's nothing to it. It looks to me on the surface like this is a really good opportunity. Um, Unless they have some requirement on your equipment, and it doesn't sound like they would, you, you could buy inexpensive tractors to do this work, uh, or an inexpensive yeah. tractor if it's if, if it, the opportunity is one. Uh, you could do this with a fifteen thousand dollar truck in today's world. Yeah, I was looking at a, a truck advertised it on the lot at about 30,000. Okay. And the truck will have to have a wet kit. So I was budgeting 10,000 to put a wet kit on it. And and I was budgeting another 10,000 to do maintenance and uh, make sure it's good and good to go. Now I I would Um, make a very strong recommendation here that you make this truck a single axle. It is. Good. That's what I'm looking at. Excellent. It has to be a single axle to get to my customers. Excellent. Good. Because um, I see a lot yeah. of people pulling doubles with tandem axles, and what a horrendous waste of money that is. And yet I see people do it all yeah, the time. I've, yeah, I've, I have a little bit of experience with that for company uh, companies I've done servicing this account, so I have an idea of good what good. that's like. Yeah, that that's um, another... I do have the mileage huge plus here 
is that you are currently doing the job that we're talking about. That's a huge bonus. Here. Yes. Yeah. So this this case, I mean, right now we're going to go over some pretty basic stuff. I'll give you, you know, my opinion. This is going to be one of those things that I'm kind of building the coaching program for, where we could get much more intense about, you know, finding the exact right truck for this thing, going through all the, you know, the the tests and, and things we should be checking and how do you set this up right. And uh, But this, to me, on the surface right now, without digging much deeper, seems like an opportunity I'd be very interested in pursuing. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you're already doing the job as a driver. I don't need to hear all that. You've got plenty of experience to be able to handle yeah. this. What I'm more interested in right now is your financial position. Exactly, and I want to talk about that. Um, I have stocks, not 401Ks. They're separate stocks that okay. I can sell. Um, now's not a great time to sell them, but I can and, and I'm willing to. Yeah, it's not a, not a bad time. Um, so I figure on the stocks, I'll have to pay long-term capital gains. So I'm taking 20% off to save for taxes. Does that sound right? Uh, probably more than you need. At, at 20%, you'll be fine. And you, you probably won't, it won't cost you that okay. much. Okay. Well, what that leaves me with is $170,000. And what I, the way I broke it down is the trailers, I can buy the three sets of trailers I need. Uh, they're the same trailers I'm pulling now, so I'm familiar with these trailers. Um, $60,000, and I, I budgeted 65000 for that because I think I'm going to have to pay some taxes on it. Okay. And so just so and I'm clear, then, um, that $60,000 is actually buying you six trailers and three converter dollies. That's correct. Okay. All right. And their life floor doubles. These things are horrendously expensive now. That's a I'll, good price. I, yeah, I'm aware of yeah, That is a, a unbelievable <laughs> price. I don't even care how old this stuff is. It doesn't really matter that much. That's a crazy good price. Yes, that's very fair. Um, I told you I was looking at tra uh, tractors, which hopefully I can talk to Henry Albert later today. I don't know. Um, $30,000 is what they're advertised for on the lot. And I'm going to budget another 20000 to get it outfitted to do this job. Okay. So um, 55000 in my budget for that. And then that leaves me about 50000 for uh, daily operating costs and all the other things you got to do. Um, what about... Is, um, is that going to be enough? Yes, it is. The, the numbers, I, I'm confident the numbers work now, too. I don't need much more detail than that. These, these numbers are easily doable. So let's talk about, well, let's talk about one more thing. Where will you keep all of this equipment? Are you going to have to have a yard yourself or is there a place that's going to stay that doesn't cost you anything? Uh, I'm in a good position. I don't, I, uh, my customer, I park all the, all the equipment there. And also we own a family farm that's two miles down the road. That's Excellent. large. I can park anything there and have access to all kinds of amazing tools. And I am very mechanically inclined. I do all the kinds of uh, service uh, that's required for live floor doubles and Boy, this is sounding jobs and change tires. I do all that stuff myself. This is sounding better all the time. Yeah. Let's go back to the opportunity because you're fine financially. Congratulations. You put yourself in a good position. You are now 
gotten ripe to maybe pick up a really cool opportunity here. Um, how long have you been listening to the show? Long time, and I do listen to business books while I go down the road. Um, I did purchase and do your stop holding the steering wheel, start driving your business. Excellent. Um, actually, I had it, and I hadn't done it all the way because I thought I had all the time in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, over the last weekend, I powered through that thing. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Um, all Good. the way. So you are like um, the poster child for what I've been talking about for five or six years now. Learn the business, pay down debt, save cash. And, and when the crash comes and everybody's crying, and we will be, this is going to be a tough time for a lot of people. But here you are looking at probably the greatest opportunity of your lifetime, and you're in a position to do it. Yeah, you want to know the catch. There's always a catch. Uh, the timeline is terrible. Um, I've got a week left. Ooh, uh, they ooh. gave me two weeks notice and ooh. they're pulling. Uh, and so okay. we've been scrambling and I've had okay. meetings with the customer. Got it. Uh, we have shopped this around to one other local carrier to put me on as the driver and see if they can put me in one of their power units. Um and the timeline's so tight, nobody's made any decisions yet. So but this you, is definitely a ready, fire, aim situation. Yeah, here's the other thing I would recommend. Do not try to get a truck in that time frame. Rent something. I, I'm trying to work out a deal where I can rent this truck I'm driving now Perfect. for this company I'm at now. Because this, this, this company does not want to burn any bridges. Good. He doesn't want to leave any of his customers high and dry. Now let's. And I need to move fast because the mill needs that truck, and I mean they need it. They cannot have any days off. Okay. And there's Perfect. customers that receive this product that they're going to hand me those customers, um, pretty much, and I need to satisfy those customers that receive the product. Okay. So a couple more questions because everything's looking really good, but I want to dig a little deeper. Are you are you able to tell us what the product is? Oh, sure. It's rice holes. It's a okay. byproduct. They use it for bedding, for poultry. Got it. And, uh, and stuff like that. How long has this company been around? The mill, the rice mill, um, ooh, longer than I've been truck and um, at least 25 years. Got it. Okay. So, um, and there's other rice mills in this neighborhood. It's not like this is the only one. Okay. But if you start pulling for brokers, you start getting less money. Here's what I, I can see tell you here. what that looks like if you want. No, I, I, I for now, it, and um, we actually, I'm going to keep you on because we now have Joel, Alec, and Henry, so we can continue helping you with the equipment question as well. Here's what I'm seeing. I am seeing an incredible opportunity and somebody who prepared themselves for that opportunity. I can't think of a reason not to do this. And here's our biggest risk, really. <laughs> now, in a really bad economy, lots of things could change. This freight could start paying less just not just because they, it has to. Um, but I don't see that being a big problem. I mean, hell, in reality, you could almost, you could lose 30% of this revenue and still be completely safe. You could still make yeah, the number I came up this. with was, yeah, I came up with if a, if I could get 
if the revenue was 180000 a year, it would be tight and difficult. Right. Um, but anything above that, I should that's, be okay is the number I came up with. You are exactly right. And that's you've got a lot of room before you ever got to that point. Let's say worst case scenario happens. I always like to plan for the absolute worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen here is the entire model collapses. The the economy gets so bad that they're not even shipping enough of this stuff. I I don't know. Uh, I always try to think of what about the whole opportunity disappears. You're, You're not in a huge amount of risk. You would have some equipment to sell to recover some of your money, and you're not financing anything. You can do this with all cash if you want. You've put yourself in that position. So, of course, you risk losing the cash, but it you don't really put your own lifestyle at risk. I, I'm assuming because you've been able to save this kind of cash that you're you're not in any real debt on the personal side and your expenses aren't crazy. Right. I have uh, zero debt and my... My net worth, I came up with 460000 You are in a perfect position. Um, I'm to, 44 years old. To do this. You know, it, it, it's interesting. If this opportunity were bigger, let's say, and you had to buy three tractors and 18 trailers, you know, and, and the converter dollies, and it, then it would be a much riskier venture. This is... This is almost risk-free. It's about as risk-free as you're ever going to get in business. That's kind of what I thought when I was, I was nervous about it until I got the numbers, which was yesterday and then the hard numbers. And then I, now it's a math equation and yeah, it looks solid to me. It, It looks really good. And you are in the perfect position to do this better than anybody else. Nobody else could step in and take this over and do as well as you're going to do. Okay. Now, I have a, a important question here. You say all the time, oh, I'm not worried about getting my authority. There's services that help you with that. Uh, I looked around on the internet a little bit. I seen like DAT maybe offers that service. I'm going to need a service. I'm going to need to call on these people and get my authority and get running quick. Uh, interstate California only. Okay, I know nothing about intrastate authority in California. I don't know what the process is. I don't know what the time limits are. My my guess is your biggest challenge is going to be time. Uh, I, I'm sure there's companies that do this, or it, it, it you know it gets done every day. Um, sometimes because we're dealing with government, they have like 30 day waiting periods and all kinds of weird stuff. So. Um, that would be an important question to get answered here pretty quickly. You know who I would reach out to? Reach, out, reach out to the California Trucking Association. California Trucking Association. Okay. Yeah. They would be, and you're going to want to join them as a member, by the way. I would, because that's okay. going to be your best resource for what's going on within trucking in California. Uh, that's their job. Um, they, I have, I have not spoken at the CTA, but I have spoken at about a dozen other state trucking associations. I used to do a lot of it. I used to belong to the Florida Trucking Association, 
I was on the road team for two years, and I've, I've spoken at about a dozen. Um, they're great organizations. That's going to be your best business resource. So I would join them and then right away ask them for, hey, I've got to get my interest state authority. How do I do it? And they'll have the answer to that. You know, you might also want to, uh, mm-hmm. um, TJ was just on here. Um, TJ is an awesome resource. He helps, loves helping people. He put out his Twitter handle. Reach out to TJ and ask him a question like that. He'll help you. Okay. I, did you catch his uh, area code? I, it, I didn't grab my pen fast enough. I got the last seven digits, but not the first three. Yeah, I was just going to remind everybody, if <laughs> you're listening on our app, just go back and listen. If you're listening, I'll throw out my phone number. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, go ahead, TJ. Uh, it's 530-521-2000. Excellent. Yeah, we'll, we'll make some connections here. We'll build some relationships. We'll get you some help. Uh, if you want to hang around right now, I'll bring these three guys in and we can keep talking about it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would love that. Let's do that. Uh, we're just going to bring them all at once and uh, we'll all just start talking over each other like we usually do. Good morning, guys. Just start talking right away today. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so and I've, I've been listening to that on hold. And the, the other association that I would highly recommend to him would be the Western States Trucking Association, yeah. where Joe Rockabout is? You know, I almost said reach out to Joe at CTA, and then I thought I remembered he wasn't at CTAs at Western States. Uh, you're right. Another good recommendation. Western States Trucking Association. I'm going to be um, I'm going to be with Joe here in a couple weeks in Nashville. You're going to be with me, too. Oh, you're going to be there? Excellent. All right. <laughs> yeah. Good deal. So we'll, all, right. Well, all right. So I don't the, know. The other one that. Oh, go ahead. The, 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 I tuned in late. The business that he said he was looking to get in. Isn't that a business that a company down in Arkansas that used to have orange frame rails on their trucks started out in? I think so. Something similar to that. Yeah. So, I think so. you know, he's got a great Rachel. opportunity here to, to, I mean, it's almost like a turnkey business just about he's already doing it as the driver we've been through the numbers of the opportunity itself which are really solid you could lose 35 to 40 percent off of this rate and still be doing okay um he's in a good position financially he's got all the cash to do this without borrowing any he doesn't have any debt now uh the amount of revenue he's going to receive, receive exceeds what he needs at home. Uh, this, to me, looks like an incredible opportunity, and it sounds like, Henry, he's going to be looking at the Freightliner platform. So we want to talk a little bit about uh, the ideal truck for this operation, a single axle. Um, Aaron, is this, uh, what's the uh, average weight on this? Probably doesn't vary much, does it? It does not very much. I'm either empty, which puts me at 35,000 pounds, or I'm loaded, which puts me at about 72,000 pounds. I was thinking I could do this best with a, probably a DD-13, uh, a single drive axle. And I'm looking at trucks mm-hmm. maybe in the neighborhood of 2015, 2016. And- 
just so everybody knows, the reason we're looking at single axle is because this is pulling doubles. Yeah, and, and this is in California. Ah, yes, gotcha. California only. Yes, California. It's mostly flat over here. It's pretty easy stuff. I, I spend all day, I'm no joke, at like 56 miles an hour. Um, there might be times I want to run 60. Um, the trucks I'm seeing for sale have the, the 321 rear end gears with the overdrive DT12 now, transmission. Does this also require a day cab? Would it have to be a single axle day cab because of uh, length? Or could it be done with it, a single axle sleeper? It doesn't have to be a day cab, but I really, really prefer it to be a, a, a day cab because I do get into really tight stuff. Okay. Okay. And it's probably weight then too, isn't it as well? Doesn't sound like it. He's only at seventy two loaded, so we've got we've got oh, okay. plenty yeah, yeah, we've got plenty of wiggle room there as far as that goes. But if you really prefer the day cab because it's tight, I get that. You give up a little bit of fuel economy because of the aerodynamics, give up, you know, a little bit of space. But um I think that you're on the right track with this. So Henry's looking at, you know, 2016, 2017, uh, budgeting around thirty to $40,000. What uh, what should he be getting here? Uh, I'm thinking of what you're going to find that exists is going to be a 13-liter. Uh, if you can find one, not as many of these were made, but a 41750. You're not really interested in the horsepower. You're interested in torque, and he's going to be one-way empty anyway, so that's not a problem. Probably uh, what you'll find in the used market, maybe at 285. I don't like that combination or 228, but that's what you're going to find. And it works pretty good with the 13 liter engine. I had a guy that was doing coast to coast with that in a six by two, and he was right at 10 with grossed out both ways. So I know it'll work. Wow. Um, yeah, the ones I'm seeing are geared higher than that. There looks like they're going to stick the the engine RPM around 1200 running 55 the, the final ratio of about 2.5 um, is that engine happy at, at 1200 or is that all wrong yeah, down around 55 it's not going to be bad of course I don't run much California I forget you're only 55 but yeah you'll be fine with that at 55 but, and you're going to have a hard time finding anything in the used market that isn't geared that way i think that um you're gonna be fine either way the dd13 a solid right. engine for this we could eventually change gears even if you really thought you needed to i'm thinking we should have no trouble whatsoever making this an eight and a half mile per gallon truck easy kevin and, one, and, one, th one thing one thing to keep in mind kevin. here yeah, Joel, jump in. Being a single axle, being a single axle, a re-ratio is very inexpensive on a single yeah, axle. Good point. Yeah, that's exactly so if you right. You really want to? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 very fast. I mean, it's a few hours. Boom, you're done. You're so, right. Yeah. Um, you can play with that ratio. It's not going to cost you a fortune. Uh, outstanding. Right. You know, this opportunity just keeps getting better and better. Well, finding single axles that are spec the way you exactly want them aren't that common of an item. It's not. It, it's California's not. a little different. They, they, 
California's a little different. They got a bunch of those running around out there with that, that single axle where they, that is you know, the, agricultural use and that type of stuff. So That is the biggest single axle market in the country, no doubt. They're all over the place out there. Mm-hmm. The other reason I was asking about the sleeper is because this was my model for years and years when I pulled doubles. I bought tandem axle over-the-road sleepers and converted them to single axles. They were always cheaper. The The single axle market, it's supply and demand. There's not a lot of them, and they hold their price. And I actually found over the years that the day cabs were costing me fuel economy. The aerodynamics are just tough on a, on a short tractor like that. So I went back to all sleepers, and I would buy them as tandems because they were cheaper, and I actually had a shop that for a while would convert them either free or almost free. I would give them all the parts, new tires, rims, differentials. They got all the parts. And I would I would be able to, to say, look, if it takes you three weeks to do this, I don't care. If it takes you a month, I don't care. Work on it when you can if you'll give me a break. So I used to get those things converted pretty cheap. A couple of them I got done free. <laughs> but uh, I, I think this is just an incredible opportunity. Oh, that's scary. Got to pull the trigger and go all in if I'm going to do this because it's a a short time window. Yeah, it is. One thing that you Um, may want to consider here while while you're doing this, and this is kind of how me and my brother got into things years and years ago. We were we were doing very similar work where, you know, it was just in time deliveries. You had to be there. You could not be late. Make sure that you have a place that you can rent a truck from and everything's taken care of ahead of time. When you buy used equipment like this, there's going to come a day where it's not going to run for you and you're going to have everything set. And so just the, uh, you know, we got into this and we were scrambling around and, and get to a dealer or a truck rental place and just get that all taken care of ahead of time. So you are in the position to know that when your truck does go down and it will, and it's always the most inopportune time, you've got a rental lined up and you know, it's going to be there. Um, and, and you can take care of business. So, um, work work all that stuff out ahead of time because this stuff can, it's, it is a great opportunity. There is no doubt about it. Just make sure you're thinking a few steps ahead here so you don't get caught, you know, in a bad position. But that's a good plan. You mentioned Joel, no matter whether you're starting out new used or whatever, same way with tires and along your routes, develop relationships with shops that you know who to call ahead of time because sooner or later it will happen yep yeah this is this gets real touchy with these factories because they want to bill you back for their employees times and stuff i mean we had a truck go down and this was for gm flint the i think it was the pickup truck uh we were doing just in time plastic deliveries and my guy just went home and went to bed. I didn't know it. And they called and they were wanting to charge me $250,000 cause I shut the plant down and I'm like, well, dude, you can come and take it off. <laughs> <I can't." Right. laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah. we finally worked things out, but, um, you really, really have to pay attention to that because it's no joke when that, that stuff goes down, they are going to be on you when it goes down. So you want to make sure that you're ahead of the curve on this and you've got stuff lined up to go at a moment's notice. I I mean, you might even go buy an old cab over or something if you can find it and just stick it somewhere if you need a wet line and stuff and just have it set in standby because it will happen. Yep. Not a bad idea. Don't think that it won't because, and it'll get you. So 
just um, be cautious of that. Okay, the only other thing I'd like advice. to add. The only thing I would add is to just construct a pro forma P and L, so that you really understand. You know, obviously the revenue is the easy part because you know what that's going to be, but um, put down your expenses, figure out what fuel is going to cost in California, what your drivers are going to cost, what all of your deductions are going to cost you from the employer side, you know, build in excess for um, tires and maintenance and so on. Just have a, a real grasp of what's going to come down to the bottom line. And, and uh, if that looks you know, with a margin of safety, um, then I would pull the trigger. Hey, Alec, that's uh, great advice, and he's been through my course, and that's a big part of the course. You got to work out all those numbers. Mm-hmm. I, already... did, I did, I did, yeah, I did hear that, and it sounded sounded like everything's, you know, on the surface, sounds like everything is really in line. Yeah, currently so, um, the, but that's just the, what I would call the last step. Currently, the revenue is at uh, right around two hundred eighty-nine thousand a year gross. He worked out all the expenses and already knows that this could drop as low as a hundred and eighty thousand a year. He could lose a hundred thousand off the top line revenue, and he'd still be okay. Wow! Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. That's why this is uh, it, like like I was saying earlier. The, the, the only real risk I see here is that the whole opportunity disappears somehow because of a horrible economy or, or whatever. But even then, he hasn't put his lifestyle at risk. He's not borrowing any money to do this. The, the, all of the money he's putting up right. to risk is his own. Exactly. And that's a, a great spot to be in. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing sounded very, very good to me. Um, the only thing I'm a little bit gun shy on, and and I've had walking floor trailers in the past, and I know they can be a maintenance headache. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know how many hours are on them. You know, the little the little nylon slats under the floor need to be replaced at times, and that that stuff can all get pricey. So your your maintenance is going to be obviously higher than a, a just a typical dry van is going to be. So you definitely want to make sure when you're estimating that, that maintenance cost that you go high on it, because that that'll come out of the blue. Those things will run just fine for two, three, four, five years. And then boom, you've got $40,000 in maintenance on, on the walking floor. Um, rice halls are not going to be, uh, you know, like I was doing demolition debris with, with walking floors, so it got real expensive at times. But, um, just, just, just be aware of that walking floor stuff. Um, and and you've you've probably dealt with these, so you're probably aware. But um, just just keep that in mind that that stuff can can bite you too. But it definitely sounds like a good opportunity. Just uh, estimate the maintenance a little higher, probably than where you're at right now, just to be on the safe side. And and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you're tri- spot on the triggering about the- done. You're spot on about the maintenance and the uh, live floors. These are used live floors, and like uh, one set could use new floors in the next couple of years. I figure that's going to be seriously a good $30,000 to do. Um, They could use some new doors. The laminate doors are all rotted on some of them. Um, So there there is going to be large maintenance is higher than other equipment. Yeah, definitely. 
you definitely, definitely have to watch that stuff. And I know what you're doing. It, it doesn't have a lot of impact damage, but you got a lot of dust and stuff that wants to get down underneath those slats and it's going to wear on your nylon runners under there. There's just a whole lot of moving parts on those trailers and, and in a dusty environment that, that can, that can be problematic at times, but as long as you're familiar with the equipment and you know you're not going to have a major, or at least you hope you don't have a major failure, that's the only thing I could see is if a couple of those trailers went down right out of the gate, man, that could be a, that could be a challenge. Um, it sounds like you're in a position where you could weather that storm, but it would still definitely be a challenge. So um, just making sure that that maintenance is where you need it to be and that you've got that backup truck, and I can't stress that enough because we've got smoked on that. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, just making sure that you've got a backup that's ready to go at a moment's notice. Since you do need a wet line and you do need a single axle, I would be looking for a, just, a, just a, a, a cheap truck to park that has that on there um, that can get you through a day or two or, you know, whatever you may need. So uh, that's one of the things that you're going to have to have. Typically, companies that come in to do this, they have multiple power units, so it's not a big deal. When you're a single guy with one truck and you're saying, I'm going to service you without failure, you're asking an awful lot of a used truck. And that shit can get super expensive when there's a service failure. So figure that out ahead of time. Okay. Okay. On, on those live floors, I have a friend that that's all he does is mm-hmm. live floors. Kevin, if you want to put him in touch with me offline one way or the other, he's real big into that. And I know the one thing they do on there is at a certain point, they take the floor out and put it in backwards or something like that, that they get quite a bit more wear out of them before they got to replace them. <laughs> All That's right. the thing. The, the one that needs new floors, the floors have already been flipped and they're paper thin. So it literally needs okay. new floorboards. But that's you know a job I, I know how to do myself. I was going to say there's two really positives to this one you you already know enough that you know that ahead of time and that's kind of what you know joel was saying mm-hmm. you, you got to understand this is coming and you can act, you understand it enough you, you could do the work yourself so those are huge positives hey, let's do this henry um if i put both of you two back in the queue because it sounds like a great resource um we'll uh We'll get Chelsea in there and we'll get you guys to uh, exchange some information. And then uh, Henry will uh, will bring you back. And Aaron, uh, after this, I'll cut you loose. Um, and you got a lot to go work on. And uh, feel free to keep calling us back and we'll help you with this. Uh, we're going to get to some more calls. Before we do, though... Um, did you guys see this, what uh, what Navistar just announced? I did not. Their new S13 integrated powertrain, which will be the S13 engine, the T14 transmission, dual stage after treatment. Here's the sentence that got me. It will be the final combustion product platform that Navistar will develop as they transition to zero emission. Are you kidding me? So that's that. This is more to play to the public. I've heard that statement and I heard it quite a while ago. Behind the scenes, you hear, well, maybe, maybe. Not. Yeah. So, yeah. So, 
don't I, bet I, the bank that that's gonna, I, that that's going to happen because there's there's a good chance that that just is not the case. But uh, it is a it is a new platform, and they're going to get a lot of life out of this. I mean, they're going to go probably ten years before they're going to have to really redesign anything on it. I I would assume so. They're probably thinking, you know, they're going to get out of this and get into electric before then. But I, I doubt it, too. I'm, I'm well, with you, Kevin. I looked. I first time I heard that, I was like, OK, and then the, the next statement I saw is just as outrageous. Navistar's goal is to achieve 50 percent zero emission vehicles by 2030. That's right around the corner. Good luck. Navis. Well, no, wait a minute, guys. Navistar does a whole lot of medium duty and school they, they buses do. and that type right, of stuff. Right, I get it. Okay. So yeah. th- th- right. that's that that's probably where that's coming from. I, it's definitely not long haul over the road. It better not be. It, it, we are just that that is not gonna <laughs> now, not it, gonna happen. But yeah, with their medium duty stuff, I could see that. Let me uh let me throw something else in. I just saw. I, I follow a lot of car guys on Twitter, guys that follow like analysts in the auto industry, and they follow auto dealers and sales trends. I just was uh, talking with one of these guys this morning, and he was talking with a Hyundai dealer. They are losing $2,300 for every electric vehicle they're selling right now. I've heard that as well from wow. other manufacturers. They're they're losing money on on most of these. I, I think GM is is or is it Ford? Ford. They were losing their their butt on their electric pickup trucks. Was my understanding. I can't remember what the number was, but it was an ungodly amount. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Why, why are you doing this? But <laughs> well, the government gover- government's pushing them that way. I know. So, you know, you got to. They're going to make it up in volume. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna make it up in value. <laughs> oh God! Well, you know, I mean, I say that jokingly, but you know that strategy—I hate to say this—that strategy has worked well for Toyota and Nissan. Uh, God, I'm gonna age myself here. <laughs> you know, forty years ago, yeah. You know, they bought market share, and honestly, you know, we laugh about making it up in volume and everything else, but it served them well. You know, it, it, it can over time. It, so it it, it can. Um, they, they they may be looking at the long game. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's uh, here's another one I want to throw out. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I got a I got a question for you, and I, I don't mean to open up a huge can of worms here right <laughs> off the, right off the get go, but I got I got a question. So, so we we talk about the evil brokers taking so much money off loads and stuff. How in the hell are these brokers going broke if they're taking all the money? I posted that yesterday. I'm like, how, wait a minute. How, how if how how how's that happening? I, I put it a little. I put it a little taking... differently, but the same thought. I said, wait a minute. All these owner operators have been screaming at me for months that the brokers yeah. control uh, right. the rate. It's not just that they're taking a bigger part. They actually set the rate. That's what they told me. Well, these guys must be idiots then. So they, they set a rate that bankrupted themselves. What a bunch of idiots. Oh my! And you know they're kind of like uh, they're kind of like Hamas. So convoy goes broke, and they're out dancing in the streets, going, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah!" yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. "Oh my God, are you guys serious?" I know. <laughs> we hear for months and months 
about how these guys control the industry and it's all phony numbers and all this nonsense. They go belly up. They're dancing a dance over there and they don't even realize what they were saying was completely inaccurate. And they still don't get it. uh, Right. Right. They still won't. Ignorance is bliss. They won't look at this and go, hey, wait a minute. If a $3.8 billion company can't stay in business right now, maybe we were wrong about them setting, but they won't do that. They, they will somehow justify some other reason why this happened. And it will be something like, oh, well, the CEO's an idiot. That'll be their reason. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 The CEO's yeah, an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, I've had the CEO on my show well, twice. It, it, <laughs> he's he not an idiot. idiot? No, nope, I can tell you he's a really, really intelligent guy. Now, I did question him about something. I talked about this earlier in the show. I was in his office and I, I brought up the idea of you guys are really, really good with technology. I get it. And the reason they were hiring me was to help understand trucking. They, they were at least smart enough to go mm-hmm. out and try to find people. They, they wanted me to explain the owner-operator world to them and what they were dealing with and how they could better, you know, work with them. And they went out to, you know, other companies like truckstop.com and, and tried to understand the industry because they're not trucking people. None of their management team was trucking people. I met them. Um, I asked them the question. I said, how how do you expect to make this work when you guys have almost no trucking experience and you're going up against people like C.H. Robinson that have a hundred years experience at this and they can mm-hmm. buy or build the same technology you have? The technology is easy to acquire. The experience is impossible to acquire. It just takes years. And they didn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. They just believed that their technology <laughs> right. was so good it would work. Well, it, it didn't. That's the problem with putting all your eggs in one basket, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, when you, when you build your business on, you think you've just got one thing that's better than everybody else's, and then it turns out that it's not. You're in a world of hurt. And I guess here's a prime example of that. So it, it just... You know, when you look at what's going on in it, I've seen multiple other smaller brokers have, have bitten the dust here lately as well. And um, it's it's just funny to disconnect in the owner-operator world versus reality, what's what's going on. I, I, I guess I don't – I guess I don't understand why they see the world the way they see it. And I know. I, I, I know. Maybe I'm missing something. And but um, you, you know it, what's really me, frustrating? Me and Alec have talked about – Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, me and Alec have talked about this at length, and you know, and, and we've talked about this on the show. What what I honestly, honestly believe, you know, a, a rising tide will raise all ships, right? Yes. And I think in order to fix issues, and let's face it, there's always issues in, in business. There's always going to be that you handle them, but as a, as a business, you handle them individually. As an employee, you handle them as a group typically that, you yes. know, you see unions and you've yep. seen groups of employees handle things. So I, I still firmly believe that in order to get the industry right, we have to have fundamental reform for employee pay 
that's going to normalize a lot of things that the owner operators are screaming that they want. Once that stuff's normalized, then it's easier for an owner operator to kind of negotiate for that in, you know, with whatever they're doing. So overtime and detention pay without giving up a couple hours and, and all these things, you know, need to happen, but they need to happen at the company driver level first. Once JB Hunt and Schneider and everybody has to deal with that, then it becomes normal for the industry to kind of have to deal with it. A, a group of owner operators all yelling for different things is not going to make that happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So it would be smart for the owner operators, instead of looking down their nose at the company drivers to, to kind of push that agenda for the company drivers. And, yeah. you know, we're kind of doing this internally ourselves um, at Alpha Drivers. I got employees now, right? So I, I've got I've got uh, Travis driving for me, and we are we're, we're paying him just like we had talked about. There's a time component involved. He's getting overtime, and and Alec can kind of go into a little bit of detail on how it's how it's working out for us. But it, it does seem to be working well. And the other, the other component of this is throughout the industry, both owner-operators and company drivers, there is a huge safety issue out there. We all know it. And my position is, as long as we pay by the mile, we never solve the safety issue, period. No. I, I don't I care agree. what you do with speed limits. I don't care about speed differentials. As long as you're paying by the mile, you're always going to, because you're forcing the driver to make bad decisions. Yeah, you can, you can speed limit him and, to uh, 65, but you'll find him doing 65 through a school zone somewhere. Well, that, that, that's exactly right. Of course, of course. exactly right. Of course, the driver to speed is a little extreme, but I agree with you. Let's go with yeah, well, you are. Encourage, well, no, at least. No, so, you, well, you, hold, on. Hold, hold on a second. <laughs> I have something in front of me that uh, my esteemed driver sent to me from my dear friend's at OIDA through their landline, and it says, and I quote, this wait time is unpaid to the drivers when they are paid by the mile and they are sitting. So says Ramsey Younger wrote in comments to the FMCSA. FMCSA. And it says, the practice of shippers and receiving, forcing them to wait for hours without pay can lead to dangerous outcomes. So, it goes back to exactly what Joel was saying is, uh, you know, safety will be compromised. Henry, I love you to death, but, you know, uh, but <laughs> these guys right here in black and white, they are forced to basically act. <laughs> I agree right up to the point of the driver's mind is what controls that pedal. He doesn't have to. But yeah. All no, I, I, are, yeah. Yeah. No, there are certain certain realities, and the reality right. of the situation is is that a driver is going to protect their paycheck every opportunity they can. That's just Absolutely. the reality of our industry. Mm -hmm. And when you put a driver behind two to three hours without being compensated, what the hell is he going to do as soon as he pulls out onto the highway? Foot's going to the floor. I, I, I don't give a damn about yeah. fuel efficiency. I don't give a damn about a bonus. I need my base pay check to be X amount or I can't pay my bills. And as long right. as we have this bottle in the industry, we are going to have a safety issue.
And until that changes, yep. nothing gets fixed. There's no technology. There's no laws. There's no speed limits that we can adjust or play with that's going to fix it until base pay gets fixed. It has to start with company drivers. Owner operators need to support that. And that needs to happen. It absolutely needs to happen. And when we fix the company drivers, that rising tide is going to help fix the issues that we see over on the owner-operator side as well. When they said that ELDs made drivers speed, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Here's another quote from the Landline article. The owner op, the owner operated independent drivers association, which represents small truckers. Okay, that's that's a separate conversation. <laughs> has long contended that the detention problem leads to de- driver turnover in the industry and is a detriment to safety. Okay, we can agree that it's a detriment to safety, but it does not lead to driver turnover. It's pay. It's pay. And until a driver is paid for their on duty time. I don't care whether it's weather, whether the truck is down and they're sitting on the side of the road getting a tire change, whether they're getting an annual inspection, all of it. When that driver is not at home, as I said, sitting in, in your backyard, Joel, petting the that driver needs to be paid. It, it's as, as simple as that. Uh, well, and, yeah, Henry, you said what... it very well. Where else can you go work for 100 hours, get paid for, or you show 70 on your clock, but you get paid for 40? I mean, what? Um, I, I think anyway. one of the things that I go back to that our friend Jeff Clark had researched and the average driver career, I think at the time when he had wrote his book was 3.2 years, which is shorter than the average NFL career, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All in, all in itself. Yeah. I mean, to uh, Joel's point, you know, all of the issues that the industry is whining about, you know, driver turnover, it's it's not a turnover issue. It's a pay issue, whether it's speed limiters and speeding through a speed zone or going 70 in a 65 on the highway or through a construction zone, all of these things, um, whether it's detention pay. And by the way, the FMC, the CSA has no jurisdiction over a shipper or a receiver. Exactly. Because and never they're not will. on the highway. And never no, no. will. Right. Uh, and, and, yeah. That idea of trying so, to solve you know, this, this at thing the is, shipper that, receiver level is never going to happen. Yeah. So well, no. Uh, the but, other, to the, go ahead, Joel. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to to add that you know when when we look at this and we talk about all these things, everybody goes, oh, but how are we going to pay for all this? How how could we possibly do it? When you have a time component of your pay, guess what? A driver can slow down then. Yes. Fuel efficiency yeah. goes up, maintenance costs are reduced, and my contention is the industry pays for it just like that. And we're starting to see that in our so, own operation because we are doing hey. all these things for the employee. Hey, Joel. Um, we got a Cadillac insurance plan that that we kind of bid off for the for the for the company that you yeah. know, it's expensive. And uh we had, uh, Go ahead. yeah, we had TJ on this morning and we were talking about his operation and what he's dealing with, with the, the cycle we're in. And he has been moving his drivers to more hourly pay. He's got a lot of different things going on, straight trucks, local line haul stuff. So he's been moving drivers to more hourly pay 
And now he said, I'm in a perfect position. I can slow my trucks down now for fuel and cost. Yes. And the drivers aren't going to bitch about it. You know, I've been saying this for years and years. Even when I was at Ploger, internally, we would have this argument. And, of course, they didn't want to do it because it was more involved in the back office to track all these drivers and make sure everything was accurate. And it it was just very involved. And we were in a good economy at the time. You know, so it was just like, yeah, let them run. We'll deal with this later type of thing. But, um, you you know, and and I get it. They've got a a million things going on. But, uh, you know, this is absolutely critical for the industry as a whole, owner operators, company drivers. I don't care. We need to get company drivers where they should be in terms of overtime and a time component into their paycheck. Now we do both. We do miles and hours and it seems to work very well. Um, I, I, it's, it's worked better than what I expected. You know, we, we've been taking the yeah. paychecks and comparing them to if we just run it straight mileage. And, you know, when you get caught in a traffic jam, that's the time when you need the driver to be on top of their game, not to lose their cool, not have to sit and worry. I'm in this damn traffic and now I'm not going to make enough to make yeah. the car payment or whatever. Yeah. You know, exactly. and, uh, so All right. All right. I have uh, a lot to it. And and, uh, we'll be talking about this a lot in the future. So uh, I got to move some things along. We've got some calls I've got to get to. I got a couple more topics I want to talk about, too. And I got a lot going on today. Um, Right after the show, I'm going to be retuning the coach that uh, that 800 horsepower (laughs) and 2300 foot pounds of torque is getting a little hard to manage when you drive. And I'm, I'm. I'm worried about the head on that cat. So I, uh, you know, Uh, I would be worried too. I mentioned why it was so hard to drive with this much boost. And my excuse was it's really hard in a coach because I can't hear the engine. How do you you drive without staring at the boost gauge? And, but then I realized something else, why this is so difficult, because even if I stare at the boost gauge all day long, it's not all that much help because all I've got is a six-speed automatic transmission. What can I do exactly. about the boost? You're just I, limited. I, all That's I can exactly do is right. keep There's letting nothing. off the throttle. There's nothing else I can do except just <laughs> let off the throttle. I think yeah. the biggest problem is with that much horsepower, you can't hear for the smile that's getting in your way. <laughs> it is very, very responsive. There's no doubt about that. Um, but so here's here's what we're doing. We're going to have some fun with this because the last time Leroy tuned it for me, I said, throw economy right out the window. I could care less about economy. I want you to show me how much horsepower and torque you can get out of this thing just for the fun of it. That's what we did. I, I've had my fun. Um, I would really rather not blow a head gasket or crack a head. So, and I'm tired of staring at a boost gauge when I drive. So I told him the opposite this time. I said, I don't care what you do for performance wise. I want you to squeeze out every bit of fuel economy I can get. We'll see what, see what he comes up. The, with. the, pro- the, the problem I think you're going to run into is the, the automatic transmission. It is. It is a I huge problem. I think that's going to be your, your, your my, biggest problem. It's yes, my limiting factor. It's not going to let, yeah, it's not going to let that engine run down where it should. And, and they have the AMPs like we have now instead of an Allison. 
Yes, they do. They do. And that that is, I would love to have a true AMT in this thing. It would be fantastic because that is my biggest limiting factor when it comes to fuel economy is this damn transmission. Well, I've worked with a guy out in Baltimore. Think about this for a second. Who had a a tank fleet. I just thought about Mm -hmm. this. I only have six gears. Three of them are overdrive. Mm -hmm. That's awful. Mm-hmm. My final ratio is like 0. <laughs> well, 0.64. The, the, the other part of that to consider, because you're moving a coach with plenty of power, and I know in Joel's case and my case, we may have 12 gears, but most of the time it only uses six or seven of them. Right, right. But three mm-hmm. three overdrives, The not I really can't manually shift this thing. It, it limits me to when I can shift and when I can't, and... It's too frustrating to even try. It, it's just set up to be comfortable. Right. That's what they're right. quick for. That's it. They they, they didn't they, they don't want you to feel the shift at all and you don't. It it is an incredibly smooth transmission, but boy, when it comes to uh efficiency. So here's the interesting thing. I asked for all the horsepower mm-hmm. and then I really focused on driving it and I actually picked up a half mile per gallon. Now it's a little, you know, fuel economy. It's never that simple. But during the time we were tuning it, I also fixed a bunch of boost leaks. So we know the boost leaks mm-hmm. help the fuel economy. So the whole half mile per gallon can't just be the tune. We don't know what part of it it is. But it'll be interesting to see now um, if we're not focused on that and we try to focus on fuel economy, can we get any better? I, I'm almost thinking we're just not so, going to get much out of this thing. So what would be super interesting to see is the actual power curve, your torque and horsepower curve, when they retune this compared to what you have right now compared to what it was stock. Yeah. And, and, and you know where you are running – typically in, in what RPM range you're running in. And so then you can really start to get a sense for, okay, so you're getting 800 horsepower out of it, but does that 800 horsepower come at like something crazy, 2,200 RPM, or are they making the horsepower lower in the RPM range? That's what you really need to understand is where it occurs. And you can pretty much look at a chart and understand what's going on at that point. I could all, after driving it as much as I have with this tune, I could almost predict what that chart's going to look like. And it is much more responsive up around 16 and 1700. Sure. Because how do you figure horsepower? It's torque times RPM. (laughs) You've only got X amount of torque. So when that thing's running up high, your piston speeds up. Everything goes to hell when you get up there. It's fun to drive, but it's very expensive. And the cold, hard truth about trucking is horsepower is more expensive to buy. It's more expensive to maintain, and it uses more fuel. There is no way around that when you look at your torque and horsepower curves and you get your gearing and your tractive effort calculations all to work together hand in hand, you're going to end up in that 425 to 500 horsepower range for the majority of operations. There are some specialty operations that require more, but that's where you're going to end up. Joel, I think you and I have been beating that drum for a long, long time. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, all right. Real, real quick. I, I, 
when I get you guys here, there's so much to talk about. And today I'm running out of time. One more topic. Then we got to <laughs> knock out four calls. Then I got to get out of here. Uh, I'm just going to read this. Uh, this is a article I read this morning. Two trucking companies and four individuals have been sentenced for violating the Clean Air Act by deleting emission controls on trucks. So for years, I've said, don't delete these things. We, we went through about a year or two where, you know, way back in 07, 08, where we were saying, look, these things are junk, delete it. We don't know what else to do with these things. Uh, but it was about a year or two. And then we figured it out and we started saying, look, do not delete these. It's a bad idea. There's a lot of downsides. But I was saying for years, you know, they just don't seem to be charging individuals. Every now and then you see one of these big dealers being charged. But this is um, two trucking companies and four individuals. One of the trucking companies was fined a million dollars. And... Um, uh-oh, what just happened? I just lost my call. Hold on. Um, I have got to get us back into the phone system. I don't know what just happened. Uh, let me try. I will say the, uh, the phone is the weak part of our system here. I'm trying to get us back in now. Joel, Alec, and Henry can't hear me. Everybody on uh, on the app should be hearing me just fine, but I have got to get into the phone system, and it's not working yet. Um, let me try again. We may end up ending the show earlier than what I thought here. Assist, my phone system is not responding to me right now. Try that one more time. All right, here we go. Might be on to something. Post. You are now in the host room and can manage All your right. callers from I the Colin Studio web interface. I think I might Audio be back recording in the system here. is on. Waiting for I think there one was a more thing. Company that they, there we go. Uh -oh. I think it, yeah. And it's not happening. It's coming back. Maybe it's just us talking I'm and we're not on, on the air. Yeah. But I can't. We, we started our own show. Live. Why not? Shall we, let, shall we unmute no, Evan? I still can't. Let me try this call <laughs> one more time. Um, uh, Chelsea, if you could put the three hosts back in the queue and just let them know. they Maybe they're hearing me. We are here. Yeah, we, we can hear it. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to retry dialing this yep. one more time um, and see what happens. Because it's just I, my call's there. It's not letting me attach it to the system. I got to try this one more time. And if this doesn't work, we're just going to have to wrap it up today. Unfortunately, we had a great show going and we had some good calls on there. Uh, but if I can't talk to the callers, it's not going to work well. No, it's it's just not working for me. It is not. Audio recording oh, is maybe, on. Maybe we have it this time. No, I can actually receive the call, but I can't connect to the system. Uh, if we weren't so close to me needing to get out of here, I would try to figure out the problem, but uh, I'm just not going to have time. Um, Chelsea, you've got the, um, yeah, well, you've got the host in there. Just let them know I'm, we're just going to have to wrap up the show today. Uh, I know everybody can hear me, but I'm not going to be he able to hear anybody on the phone system because I can't connect to it. So 
Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Sorry about that. Uh, we continue to work on this in the background. It's a huge project. We get closer and closer all the time. So uh, we'll keep working on it. We will um, see you back here next week. At right now, I'll be on the road all week long, but uh, my schedule is going to remain the same as much as possible throughout this trip and this event. And uh, I'll keep you updated. But as of right now, next week should be a normal week. No spaces on X until uh, I get back from this trip. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.